Okay. And um, you got your drink? We got all good. All right. I'm ready. Ready? I am. Suggested donation. Welcome to Suggested Donation. I'm Edward Minoff. I'm Tony Serenai. And today we are joined by violinist and composer Michelle Ross. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thanks Whoa. for coming. We're it's really a pleasure. excited. So you just said violinist and composer. Do you feel, a, is there a big difference between being the musician, the person up there playing, and then conducting other people to do, to make the music that is coming out of your head? Um, yes, I think there's um, a very big difference, but a very important uh, intersection between mm. the two. And I think uh, studying composition and feeling like I have my own voice that I need to discover and refine and bring out mm. into the world <laughs> has made me a better violinist and has made, also taught me <laughs> reminded me which one I've spent more time on because uh, <laughs> I've been playing the violin since I was five and wow. I feel like I understand what it means to be a violinist and I'm still learning what it means to be a composer. Were what? you always, were you introduced to the violin first and foremost? Was, were there other instruments that you played with when you were five but, or was it always the violin? Or on the journey since five. Yeah. <laughs> um, I started on violin and piano mm -hmm. and I think I stopped playing piano when I was about seven or eight, so... So two years on piano and then yeah. it was all violin? So yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the violin because you could carry it around. It was kind of like my new little doll. And, <laughs> yeah, and um, I started going back to the piano in recent years as a composer, actually, um, improvising on the piano. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like a safe place for me to not have any physical memories or baggage, you mm -hmm. know, as a violinist. And Almost all that. like muscle memories, yeah. like you're not going to quite just start doing the scales. Exactly. Are, you know. So being able to just be able to sit down and not judge myself so much, it was sort of like a blank slate, which mm -hmm. was really, it was a nice surprise when that started happening. Um, I play a little viola. Nice. Because <laughs> it's fun to read like Mozart quartets and yeah. stuff on viola. Um, but not professionally <laughs> yet. So it's so, it, you violin. stick to the violin yes. for professional yes. purposes. Yes. <laughs> and did you always know that you were going to be a musician? When when did that like? I mean, it seems like since five you've been consistently doing this. Did did you always know, or were there? Did you flirt with other kind of things that you might want to do? I have a ton of interests, and I've pursued a lot of them. But I sort of knew from the from the minute I held the instrument that this was what I was going to do. It just, it was the most natural thing to discover. Mm -hmm. So I feel very grateful, uh, especially because nobody in my family is a musician, but I um, started playing because uh, the elementary school I went to in Los Angeles, we got a new principal, and it was about a year before I moved away, and she started a music program. So I started after school in a group of 50 kids with like a trumpet teacher leading the class. <laughs> and I just found the violin. So I f I'm really, really lucky that actually I started through a public school system. And then you just stuck with it. Yeah, but 
uh, I think about that all the time, that if I had just never, like, what would have happened? Right. If, I if never, you didn't. Or if I went to a school that didn't have it or. Yeah. Meaning so. like that first initial contact with the violin that if you never came across that, you would be in a completely different place in your life. Yeah, I mean, the study of classical music takes a lot of time and discipline, and um, you need to start from a young age, and there's a lot of people in America who aren't exposed to classical music in their school systems or elsewhere, so I feel very happy that I was able, and my mother is a painter, obviously, so the arts were, I, I probably would have found my way into the arts anyway, right. but who knows if I would have started the violin or not, I don't know. And you know? Go ahead. Was there ever any question in terms of, like, you're pretty uh, devoted to classical music. Was there ever any question? Did you ever think of doing something else? Or was it always, like, you just immediately fell in love with Bach? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I really loved playing violin. I can't say that I was... I understood what it meant to be serious about music until my family moved to New York when I was 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so old. <laughs> I know. I know, but I mean, in the, in the classical world, it's, I mean, it's, it's funny to say it. I, I hear it sounding funny, but when I moved to New York, um, I started going to Juilliard pre-college, and I kid you not, at the age of 10, I was already behind all the other kids. Wow. Yeah, so... <laughs> at 10? Yeah. Well, we were just... Uh, I was just at a show at the Frick of painter Anthony Van Dyke, and, oh. I mean, his... He was, I don't know, at, like, 11 or 12, he was already, like, a really accomplished painter, and, you know, by the time he hit, I don't know, 14 or 15, he was an apprentice and maybe, like, the best... Uh, assistant painter in Ruben's studio and you know he you know his career took off you know very very early and uh, I think in the past that was the way it was with painters that they really? they committed pretty young really young wow. uh, now it's it's pretty rare for somebody at 10 to decide they're going to become a painter but so in that case would he have been educated normally or was he already just study, only I think studying was, the arts I think that they were just probably studying. I don't know too much about it, but I, I know he was apprenticed with another artist, so I assume that that was a pretty full-time commitment. Wow. Uh, yeah, and that, I mean... <laughs> so you... Did, <laughs> what's your violin training? You know, what did that consist of? I mean, uh, obviously you were studying a little bit in school, but it, you must have been working an awful lot outside of school. So, um, yeah, when, I, when my family moved to New York from Canada... Um, I was very lucky to come to a place that had such an amazing school as Juilliard, and I got in at that age with a teacher named Dorothy DeLay, who mm-hmm. was one of the greatest violin teachers, you know, that in the last, I don't know. Yeah, yeah she's taught everybody, she's, and she taught my teacher yeah, as well. He taught Perlman, Exactly. Right? Yeah, I know he, he kind of, he puts, he puts her on his roster of influence. Yeah, she was an amazing woman, an amazing teacher, and um, she actually brought me to Mr. Perlman, and from the age of 12, I had the amazing fortune of having Itzhak Perlman as my teacher and mentor, wow. so wow. I, I credit... And he was like, he was, oh yeah, so, because you're, you're, you're young, he was a superstar by that point. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, he's the greatest violinist. <laughs> At that age, did you understand what that meant? Yeah, like, oh, yeah, oh, of course, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like, wow, this, yeah, is, a, I think this mo- is a true master. Yeah, I mean, most, it's funny, most of, the, most of my peers, will, whenever we go to festivals and people ask us how we started instruments, 
you heard my story, but m m nine t times out of ten, people say, I saw it suck Perlman on Sesame Street. So. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah, I saw him on there. I remember yeah. seeing that. So, I mean, of course, he was like my idol. And so being able to meet him at that age, and uh, he's completely shaped my idea of what it means to be an artist and to have a voice. And to I think also the older I get, the more I understand the gift of his patience that he loves to take young students. He likes to take risks with somebody young and really allow them to grow. And he says he knows what not to say, which I sort of started paying attention to, being able to pick up on that the older I got. And I would realize, oh, you know what? This was his, he had foresight. He knew that I was going to get here on my own. And he was sort of gently guiding mm -hmm. me there. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of, I always think of it like there's the positive and the negative space. And, he can, he can see everything, and he doesn't he doesn't want to fill in all the holes for you because he wants you to Figure get there it yourself. Out, get yeah, there. but he's such a master that he he hears and he sees everything. But mm. he's he also yeah. So he's been probably one of the the greatest influences on my life. Classical music, I think a lot of people of our generation grew up around it, whether it was in your house or not, because of cartoons. If oh. You, the early Warner Brothers. Yeah, all the Bugs Bunny. And the Bugs Bunnies. And it's like, like the, all Beethoven. And That's so funny. I and like Tom and Jerry's from the that together. 40s and 50s. All the soundtrack is all cla like kind of... Cla if it's not, you know... They had orchestras because when they did animation back then, they had full orchestras, mm -hmm. so they would have a well, they also they, But then they would use... They would like, time the animation, so the whole cartoon that, yeah. would be based on the music, mm -hmm. and it was timed to the music. Mm -hmm. So I know that when I was... got a, We became, both used to work in animation. Yeah, but when we became oh. a little older, a little older, um, and I started playing music, because if you're, you know, you're... I grew up in the suburbs, so you know it's probably a thing that you're going to pick up a guitar, drums or something, and start playing. When you st when I found classical music, I was like, yeah, this is like all the stuff I grew up grew up on. It was all from cartoons. Wow. I know I haven't heard that before. That's really cool. <laughs> I guess you were busy we practicing gotta, the we violin. Bring you back the cartoons, you know, you know why? Because you're so too busy practicing. <laughs> That's true, though. Yeah. that is true. <laughs> At a young age like that, what was it like? What was the training like? Was you know was it you think it is like ideally yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean a good a good student would <laughs> practice many hours every day after school always before homework um, I'm not going to say I always I, I really loved school as well like right. I like Nerd. academics a lot um, so that was important to me but I think it's what one of the reasons I feel very lucky to have met Mr. Perlman at such a young age is alongside of the technical work that you have to do at that age, he, from the age of 12, since I was serious about music, he always put um, expression at the, at the most important thing. This is why you're playing. Really? Because you have something to say. Mm -hmm. Even before you learn the it's fundamentals. Not before, I mean, it's not before or after, but it's alongside. Because mm -hmm. if you just have technique, then you just have technique. And I think that, um, and I had a big imagination at that age and he sort of encouraged me to go with it. So I feel really happy that I had someone like him encouraging me to trust my instincts and grow my instincts. And um, of course there's a lot of slow practicing you have to do and <laughs> I still right. have to do it now. And yeah. I still, you know, you can always grow your craft, but I think knowing why is, is really important. 
having something to say and being able to figure out um, like the power of being able to move somebody with art. This is a really big power. And if that's your goal, then practicing lots and lots and lots of hours and years is it's really worth it. That's, it's that foundation. Yeah, it's, that's You'll why. never be able to speak without that foundation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think we feel like we've got a I mean, similar... I, I know I'm in the right building to be <laughs> talking about working for a lot. I, that's one of the reasons I love coming down here. It's just, it always sort of grounds me. Like, I think, you know, practicing skills, practicing slowly, they can do it. They can sit yeah. and sit draw. And draw it's, for, I mean, yeah. I know you're working more hours than I am. I mean, I just, because I, I, I've seen, you know, in my home, like how much goes into to, to your craft. So I think it's very inspiring to come here and have a reminder. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way when I come here to teach, just seeing somebody who's humble enough to put it all, everything aside and just spend a few months on like a cast drawing and just try and make it per like that pursuit of perfection and beauty, like that's, it's humbling. And, and then you go back to your studio and you're kind of a little bit more grounded. Yeah. I always like the, in the, especially the classical music, um, Education in, in in the states is there always seem to have been a place for it. Meaning you can go find and somebody like Itzhak Perlman who's incredibly successful and admired, and go study with him. Juilliard. You have all these like great schools across the United States that had. I mean, some better than others, some more famous than others. But there was an infrastructure for it, mm. and I. You know, from some a lot of the artists we talk to, we feel like, or some people might argue, but it wasn't as much so with with painting and drawing. So we would look. I would, you know, when I got a little older, we looked to the the music as like, see, they did it. They did it well, and mm. it continues on. Well, and you're allowed to play classical music, whereas a lot of people <laughs> criticize you for classical painting. You know, really. Yeah. So how did? Yeah, I mean. I feel like everybody takes, you know, takes their art form and like from wants to cradle it and make sure everybody knows how precious it is Absolutely. and also share it. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of classical musicians feel that it's our, I mean, I know I feel this very strongly, uh, it's an obligation to, mm -hmm. to share it with people because lots of times there isn't access to it. But I never thought about in comparison to your field the lack of you're talking about like having institutions that you can yeah, go to that yeah. are that are admired and you know actually have a place have yeah. a building have a there's I see what Absolutely. you mean I never thought about that yeah there's always been great places yeah. to go learn yeah music. and to hear it and everything else yeah, yeah. to hear it to to learn it to uh, yeah I don't know that there's like an equivalent to Juilliard no. No. for like the craft of painting and you know the the art form that we all practice. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why you know, Jacob here. started. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, why we, yeah. Yeah. that's why we're trying to do so what then, we're doing. So then how does it happen then? How, do you, how did you find... I mean, we both kind of stumbled upon Jacob, and he happened to be kind of putting something together, you know, in the very early stages when we met him, uh, because there, it didn't exist anywhere, and he was trying to... Or he, he was finding that all these people wanted to know how to do this thing, and he had been fortunate enough to get some exposure to it and had, you know, run with a, a bunch of ideas and developed them himself, and so he had a lot to offer. So 
more and more people were kind of coming to him and mm -hmm. asking if he could, you know, and he was, I think, very excited to have the community. And, yeah. and so uh, he developed, uh, he, he rented a big studio space in uh, Dumbo in Brooklyn, and we all started studying there. Uh, because this didn't exist anywhere. So it must have been a moment where that stopped being important, right? For like, because as you said, this yeah. painter that you saw the other day at age of eleven, yeah, it was perfectly fine for him to go study drawing and painting. Yeah, that, that so, was that was he was he's a long he's long been dead. Yeah, but, yes, but so still there was a, yes. there must have there was a shift in the yeah, I guess I think the, it was the question the 20th is, century, yes. I mean, yeah. the 19th century. Yeah. I think. Also, I don't know, like uh, education has been sort of standardized and, yeah. and people, you know, have certain expectations that you're going to go to college and get like a, a degree and something and, and that that's a valuable thing for life. Mm -hmm. And uh, you do, I think there's a lot, there's a huge value to college. I, I, I went to college, I have a degree that I know never, like nobody's ever seen it. <laughs> I've never had to show it to anybody. but. Um, uh, I, I think the experience was valuable for me, but here we're starting to get people who aren't going to go to college. They're just yeah. deciding they want to paint and yeah. they want to do it as soon as possible. So we're starting to get, you know, 17, 18 year olds wow. who are committing to it. It's amazing. Yeah. But then there's no other place. They can't go to a regular college because it's not offered at any regular college. Mm. Do you think, I mean, with the amount of something that I, I love about this school and the artists I meet is... We're at the Grand Central Atelier, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> As I, I find like a, there's like a piece here that you don't feel like you have to go and, I don't know, I just feel like it's about the work. It's about just doing the work and that's really all you kind of need to focus on. And I think that something that's similar about classical painting and classical music is it, it takes thought to experience, it takes work yeah. to also to experience it sure. and work in like the most fulfilling sense of the word that the more you put into looking at a painting the, the deeper it'll right. sit with you and it's the same thing with what we do and I think that's what I admire I love about this intersection we, we had a sculptor uh, that we spoke to recently and uh, he said through uh, through process comes meaning you know for his work and I think that's very similar for for mm -hmm. us that you know, you talk about kind of being able to say something with your violin, but it's mm -hmm. it's through kind of developing an incredible skill set. You know, you need to really be able to play to express feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Even when you were a kid in high school and your friend, you know, that kid who knew how to play guitar really well, <laughs> but like really well, you Whoops. Like, <laughs> the idea of being so good at something, it's so amazing to see somebody so good at anything. Yeah. But you can't do anything you want until you have almost this, like, we were joking about the muscle memory thing you were talking about, some, mm -hmm. about going on yeah. to the piano. But, like, to have such an amazing control because of skill that you're able to do and express and do anything you want. It's this constant... I always feel like I'm always trying to grow my imagination mm -hmm. as much as possible and then build the technique to meet it. So this gap is always getting bigger and then smaller and, and bigger, then bigger and smaller. So it and it, it's kind of endless, which is it's really great. exciting when it feels like that. And then you know that you'll never get tired and you'll like never reach it either. Breath. 
and it, you can feel like that with your own playing, and you can also feel like that in front of a great master, in front of a great composer. I feel like that in front of Bach. You know, some days I feel really close, some days I feel really far away, and um, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's really cool to be able to. Well, you mentioned when you said it, it's like your obligation to be able to do what you can do. That you have an obligation to the, like you know, the world or to out there. Why? Why do you feel? <clears throat> why do you feel that obligation? Um, well, partially it's because I, I think that... By the way, I could, if you asked me this question, I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so... Well, I but think... But I completely agree with yeah, you. Yeah, well, it's because, in, in one sense, it's because it's a performing art. And I think that, you know, when I was younger, I had this ideal of moving to the woods and just kind of being an artist <laughs> alone. In the, in my, and I think about it all the time, actually. What does that mean to, you know, to be an artist by yourself, is it, is it just as worthy or not? Like sometimes you think, if I want to be a composer, I have to do that. I have to have the seclusion and understand to really like get to truth and all that nonsense. But It's not, we use that all the yeah. time and people are like, what are you guys, but we all use that idea of like yeah. searching for truth. Yeah. I think that might be a universal thing that links a lot of, you know, art, all, people in the arts together. And I mean, if I may say it, I think that it's because we've all felt close to it. Like, mm. if you play the violin or if you paint, you must have, you must feel like you're coming in, into con contact with it. So I think that's why we search because we've we've had these whiffs of things, you know. If you, but because so because I play the violin, you know, I could sit all day by myself and play Bach for myself. Right. But at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of the day, that's not really why. I, there are violinists. Yeah. Um, whether or not I need to have that secluded, pure space to do good work is something I could argue for. But I think at the end of the day, I know that I can, I know that this music, and hopefully through me, can really change people. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've witnessed it. So I feel like not only trying to strive to play, have a very fulfilling career and be able to play around the world and with great musicians. I also think it's really important to share music with as many people as I can. And there's where the obligation comes in because I've always, I still may at some point, I've always wanted to move to Europe and there's a lot more music opportunities in some sense there. A lot of the cultures, it's more part of their daily life. Um, really? In, in your, for, for your classical music? Classical. For classical music, really? yeah. Um, but then I think about the fact that, you know, I was lucky and part of me also feels an obligation to give back here where I'm from. And um, it's also, it's so fulfilling. Like the other thing is you can get so frustrated working mm -hmm. and you can, you know, it's really hard to be a violinist and yeah. make a life and, you know, you have ups and downs all the time. And if you play for a complete stranger who's never heard a violin before or never heard music that close up and you see them melt away, it's, it's, it, it can, it's the most amazing thing on earth. There is something about live there music. There is something about, I mean, but even when you're just like practicing mm -hmm. just, just before, it's still like, it almost like it does. It takes your breath away you for it a does. second, no matter what. I think there's something very like, I don't know, primal or something that goes really yeah. back that yeah. connects us. I actually, because I'm around live instrumentalists all the time, but 
it really happens to me when I'm when I'm in front of a singer, or especially like a a couple times I've heard like like a um, young boys choir or something yeah. like that. And whenever I'm in in a room with people singing, no matter I don't know I always I'm always very conscious about it. It's a physical yeah. thing. It's something physical. Like we're really actually experiencing something. Is that a, what led you to your project? You were playing publicly. Yeah, there's a lot um, that went into that. Can you explain what it is for people who don't know? Sure. Um, last fall, uh, winter, I played 33 days straight of the complete sonatas and partitas of Bach. And every day um, I went through the cycle and I played in a different public-ish spot all around New York. So great. Yeah, and I wrote about it and had a lot of fun and um, surprised myself in a lot of ways. What's the surprising part uh, of the, f the first day was very surprising. I, um, I decided to play at uh, my favorite, one of my favorite spots in New York, the Hungarian Pastry Shop, which is a beautiful cafe um, right near Columbia University yeah, 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 on yeah, Amsterdam. I, I think I know. Yeah, it's, if you haven't been there, you should go. <laughs> okay. It's wonderful. Shout out to the Columbia yes. Pastry Shop. I mean, the Hungarian Pastry Shop. Yeah. Um, but I was like, this whole time I was really torn about whether or not a violin could be sort of a spontaneous pop-up experience. Because mm -hmm. one of the things that... that um, I felt kind of compelled to do this project was that um, I wanted people to have the opportunity to hear this repertoire in particular in a very up close and intimate and raw way. Why, why this why, one in particular? Why Bach? Why Bach? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the easiest answer is that it's all solo repertoire, so mm. I don't need anybody else to play it. And more importantly than that, it's it's something that I can study on my own. So I can really immerse myself in it wholly, and I don't feel like I'm, you know, um, if I had a string quartet, that'd be something else. But I can I can really do all the work on my own, and that's a very beautiful process. I was also recording my first CD of the music, so I had this idea to to sort of break break the break the sculpture I was building. Um, and kind of do the opposite and let the music be alive and give myself a whole month to get through this cycle and see what happened playing it differently every day and playing it for strangers and allowing somebody who has never, who maybe never heard a violin up close that much. Mm. And I, I think that this, this music, even if it wasn't the only, one of the only uh, repertoires that I could do as a solo violinist, is so powerful and it's just the most beautiful works that we have as violinists. So yeah. to be able to give that to people, it felt like a, a real, really important thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also I've, I've I had an, a couple experiences. Um, I actually played um, at, a, at a prison and I had played for women there and had a very powerful- In New York? Mm-hmm, powerful experience playing Bach for them and you know, within like two minutes, I felt like I was actually being able to be honest with people. And yeah. that was an amazing um, kind of transformative um, experience for me. So, and I was also very interested in this idea of like, well, yeah. What was some of the reactions from the, from the inmates that you got? Just open. I mean, they were crying, they were laughing, they were 
they were really, really open. Yeah. And Is it the same that you were doing in New York? Yeah, it's so the cycle that I played at Six Sonatas and Partita, so okay. the 33 days was um, a little bit of an expanded structuring of the 27 movements. Yeah. So every day I played a movement, I played the whole sonata, the movement came in, but it was sort of my way of getting through this and experiencing the cycle as a whole, because I the architecture and all of that stuff. So I only had a limited amount of time with these women, so I played a shorter version of, I played excerpts from the cycle, but yeah. I did play part of the Chaconne, which is this 15 minute Fantasia, you know, that may or may not be um, sort of like a monument to Bach's late wife. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just a very powerful piece. And, and you, I was you, able to play it for them. I said very little. I mean, I started off by, like, I don't know, I played a little um, variation on Amazing Grace, and people immediately started kind of opening up. And then I told them Bach was a religious man, and he was a family man, and he wrote this piece when he was going through a hard time in his life, and he finds lightness afterwards and then I just started to play and I told them a little bit about how he um some people think that he has actually he actually chose the the notes in the chaconne which is a theme of variation so mm -hmm. the whole thing sort of a variation on the very first phrase that some people have found representations of Maria Barbara's name in it so whether or not you believe it it's yeah. just kind of sometimes it's a nice way to let people in to strike their imaginations and when I got to the major section I asked some of them afterwards what they heard and some of them said they heard a prayer some of them were crying I mean it's just amazing to see people you know in this space where I'm not I don't know them they don't know me yeah. and I'm not even you know I think it's it's nice I actually don't have lyrics but I can play and through the instrument we all can exist in this sort of safe space that's outside of everything outside of society and judgment and anything and be able to just connect as humans so and what was also really nice is that I didn't feel like I did, I strongly believe you don't have to teach people about classical music lots mm. of people are afraid I have friends of mine who are afraid to come to concerts and tell me what they think after. And I think if you just frame it, if you frame it in a way that allows people to, sort of leads people of how to listen, then that's all you need. So that's that was sort of the impetus for my project, to try and figure out how, how and if public and private spheres could kind of interact and where music played in. And so to go backwards, like one of the things that surprised me was can I walk into a coffee shop where people are talking and studying and just play and not say anything, not introduce myself and not, I don't, you know, I'm not a jazz musician in the street and I'm right. not like a performing, I'm not like a street artist. I feel yeah. very strongly about giving people the full experience. Yeah. And I started to tune. I was so scared. I was in the corner, like trying to hide. And I put my bow on the string and everybody fell silent, which completely shocked me That's so I so just awesome. stood up and started playing and the whole room was silent so that was a good first day and it kind of <laughs> then I started to grow this this extra muscle of like being able to feel out a room be able to feel people like the people in front of me because I have the violin and I'm not an actor I can get on stage and kind of close my eyes and Oh, yeah. feel I can feel alone. I'm completely exposed, but I'm also hiding in, in a certain sense. So this this made me 
more aware of the just the nor like the obvious fact that there's people around, <laughs> <laughs> which you can really forget about when you're on a stage. Right. So the lighting. Yeah, like there's the, the artist, and you know you're sort of communing with the composer, and it's all for the audience, but you don't ever think about who's in the audience or if they're listening or not. And that was a kind of a new thing to just toy with. And by, by the end, were you pretty confident on just, like, I got very, by, com by, by the end, I got very comfortable. Like even yeah. cocky, you're like, guess what? Uh, I don't know if I ever got that confident, but I did start to enjoy surprising people. Yeah, like, that's the like thing. Rock, I, like, I played on the Staten Island Ferry and I was not worried about whether, you just get comfortable and yeah. you, you start to trust people actually, especially New Yorkers. That was the biggest nice surprise. <laughs> like New Yorkers were really nice and, yeah, and yeah, people, yeah. people didn't like, mind like, a little pushback, which was that. cool. Yeah. Was there any did you think of every spot you were gonna go, um, was it something that you planned way ahead or was it like the day before you're like, I'm gonna go hit this random weird spot? <laughs> <laughs> so some of them I planned very far in advance and some of them I left open for whatever happened that day and some some spots I purposely chose a couple days every every so often for me to kind of go back into my cocoon and yeah. get that um was there a, one spot in particular that surprised you so I guess like the the fear is always are people gonna listen so mm -hmm. for me the biggest thing is make sure that you're not in a noisy spot uh you can never know really if someone is how you're impacting them and I kind of want, I'm curious how you guys think, or if you do think about this when you're creating your work, because you don't, it's not a performing art, so you don't actually in real time see the audience. Yeah. I'm curious how and if that plays into what, just your process. It, it, it's funny because if we're, you know, out landscape painting or something, yeah. and you're playing, painting out in public, um, what we do is such a quiet, like we're, we're we might as well be a fence post. So we're, mm -hmm. we're just not in the way or anything, but you, you'll, you'll get a, you'll get a crowd behind you and they're asking you questions and they want to be, cause it's like, if you're doing what we're doing and you're painting something, hopefully faithfully or representationally, people can identify with it. Meaning, oh wow, look at that, you're painting what I can see and that you're, you know, hopefully if you're doing a decent job on it, it's really translates. I don't, I mean, I, th I think all art is a dialogue in some sense. So even if it's a dialogue with yourself, like you mm -hmm. are thinking of, of Tony and I talk about this often that like for us, and maybe this is true for you, like the most important person to be viewing my paintings is, you know, is Tony or, or another painter or another artist. I mean, I, I think, yeah, and anybody who's in the arts who I really admire, that's the audience that I'm really painting for. And if, if uh, the painters that I admire say nice things about my paintings, that makes you nothing makes me feel better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want to pretend I mean, like selling paintings is good. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious when you're playing the violin out there for people, like, are you? I mean, you, you you're sensing kind of something from the audience, but are you actually like opening your eyes and looking around or is that dangerous? Like, is that uh, something you I can't never, no, I never, you <laughs> I never look around. Um, but what you said really interests me because um, this project sort of was just a reminder that people will benefit from hearing 
me or anyone play Bach now, even though I feel like I'm not finished. And I think for me, when I'm playing, I'm, I'm like playing for Bach. Right. You know, like I'm, I'm hoping that I'm living up to what he's created. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of the same thing. Like that's your, that's your ideal. That's what you're striving right. to is you're striving for the music itself. But be, what's so cool is that as a performing artist, you can take the veil off and let people in on that at the same time. Have you ever had any, when you were doing those um, performances, did you have any a reaction that you were like, wow, like floored you or, you, or just stuck in your mind? Um, there was a powerful day when um, I actually played at a police precinct in Brooklyn. And that was really intense because, I don't know, I just did the image of I was playing the Chaconne and there were all of these men and women in uniform standing completely taut, just standing at me, listening. And it was, there, there was so much kind of electricity in, in the space. We were in the precinct. You could see like an empty cell door in, to the right. And actually, I found out afterwards... Um, it was a precinct where that had lost two officers and their anniversary was coming up. So I felt very... That day was interesting because I'd also played at a homeless, um, like at a soup kitchen mm-hmm. that morning. So I sort of felt like I was this, like this fly on the wall, fly on the wall, being able to sort of come in through different parts of society and be able to offer music, which is a sort of this beautiful, safe place for all of us to, to feel with one another without having to really announce ourselves. So yeah. that, was a, that was a very powerful day. Um, yeah. Would you, mind, would you mind playing like a short piece from that? Yeah. From something you may have um, played, played on that, um, that t- I'm going to call it a New York tour. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah,
such a beautiful piece. Wow. Thank you so much for Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> it just reminded me of, uh, I, I think it's such a New York thing, too, to have something like that, you know, in a place like a police station or a Hungarian pastry shop. Mm -hmm. It's like, to me, that's so New York, to have this almost juxtaposition of something you may you think is one one thing, mm -hmm. and it's all of a sudden you're put into this, you know. Yeah, I mean, there was, um, what was so rewarding about the project that I did is that I felt like I could, in real time, get reactions from people, which, mm. as a artist in New York City, when we're all kind of lost at sea, yeah. you know, <laughs> like doing our own things, <laughs> and not even just artists, you think about how many just people are living in the city and feeling alone, and we're all kind of doing the same thing. So be able to connect with people is so beautiful, and um, took me outside of myself a little bit. And then, then you can go back and get that sort of humility back, saying, no, there's a reason why I want to devote time to, to making my craft as powerful as possible so that these moments can happen. Yeah. So there was that really nice kind of perspective that I got daily, which was exhausting. I mean, I've never performed that many times in a row, ever. <laughs> how long was generally? How long would you play it? At each I would play spot? about twenty to thirty minutes. And there was never a point where people were like, "Oh, stop!" Or, well, or I like mean, the owners I would of the sort of like play it by ear. So at minimum, I would play one movement, one movement, because that was my own structure. But I didn't yeah. want to just play a movement like that and walk out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although that would be like drop the mic, type of like, <laughs> yeah, right. bow drop and uh, yeah, drop the bow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say the performances. I'm trying to think if there were any days I just did one movement. Mm -hmm. I don't. I doubt it. Would you talk at all? Like sometimes, in between? Sometimes. Sometimes I would sort of feel it out. Like mm -hmm. if if I was, if people were staying, or leaving, or. It was sort of an. It, every situation was different. Sometimes I felt it's going to be helpful here to tell people who I am, right. what they're yeah. listening to, and sometimes I felt. I mean, I really believe this music speaks for itself. I love to talk about it, right. clearly, yeah. because <laughs> I, it's so fascinating. It's not just on an emotional, visceral level. Intellectually, there's so much here to yeah. discover. Yeah. But I, I also, at the, you know, at the end of the day, I believe that it speaks for itself. Yeah. When you played here, that was one of the things that drew me in was, I mean, obviously, your playing is incredible, magnificent. But also, afterwards, you talk, you spoke a bit about your interpretation of, of Bach and what he was thinking when he was composing and where he was in his life and why these were these movements were important. And I, that, to me, rounded it out so beautifully. I mean, it, it added a lot to oh, what I'd been listening to. I'm so to. glad because um, it's just I, I'm always finding new things there. So I, and I think what's what's so nice about um, you know, for instance, classical music is that there are all these levels that we're kind of tapping into, even if we're not aware of it. Right. Um, I know, when, like, when my mom used to teach me how to look at a painting, you know, you can look at it on one level, and it can, you know, sometimes you'll have an immediate reaction, but then she would show me, like, 
where the eye is, like where the painter is trying to draw, draw the eye, yeah, for example, yeah. and then she'll explain about dimension and things like that. And then it just keeps getting more and more and more. And then, you know, so it's the same thing, for instance, with Bach or with Schubert or any of these composers. There's so many, they're functioning and creating something on so many dimensions. Right. And it's, it, I, it's just, it's so fascinating because you, you, you'll never know, you'll never be able to, except for all of the wonderful living composers, you'd never be able to talk to them and yeah. really know. But part of me wonders if it matters or not. Like, right. Well, whole, as somebody yeah. playing them, I yeah. mean, I, I think you probably, you know, you know better than probably most musicologists unless they're actually playing. I mean, I, I feel that about yeah, painting. When painting. we look at paintings, I feel like, you know, half of what I read in, in books by art historians is accurate and half of it is them talking because they don't really have any experience painting and they don't really know what they're talking about. Well, I think we, I don't know, I, I like to believe that we know these artists from the past probably on a deeper level than people who even interacted with them in daily life. Yeah. Because you think how much, how much they're exposing of themselves. I think about this all the time with someone like Schubert, I think who's like the most, for me, such a personal composer. I, I just always think about his humanity. Like with Bach, it's easy to kind of think of him as like greater than human. Because <laughs> yeah, just, it's like this, he did, it how, didn't really exist. This Bach yeah. person didn't really exist. It was just. Yeah, and it's, yeah. I mean, it's just the, like for me, it's like the metaphor of like, you know, and I've wrestled with this a lot, which is another part of why I did the project. Like. We all feel like Bach and his works are up on a pedestal because they're so perfect and we never feel worthy of them like for your whole life. So mm -hmm. the struggle for me when I started uh, deciding to record this at a young age was acknowledging the fact that this is not my final interpretation. Oh, right. Start yeah. again tomorrow and build the cathedral all over again. Yeah. 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 And hopefully for the rest of my life, you know, as long as I'm allowed. So, yeah. but, and, and it's just kind of like larger than life figure and sometimes I think about a composer like Schubert who died you know like uh, I forget if he was 32 or 33 and we I don't know I feel like I know Schubert I feel like I really know him and I wonder if if you think of it even like a diary people write in a diary yeah. you feel like you know them more than and a diary is the most trite like <laughs> metaphor <laughs> to compare to like a piece of a string quartet that Schubert would have written, but if you 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 think of it in the same vein, it's like his 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 whole soul is there, and yeah. I wonder how how many people like it's so fascinating to me to think hundreds of years later where we feel so close to these composers. Yeah. I feel so close to Bach, and I feel like I'm able to allow Bach to be close to other people, and I like to think back the opposite way, like he was a person who gave us this. If you were gonna go up to a person who heard you play and was like, look, I really, I loved it so much, I wasn't exposed to this as much as I would like to have, um, who are like the top three? You would say, okay, go listen to these three composers and- Composers? And, or are like performing? Are, I would say composers and then performances. Oh. Give, give me your really top three. Good. Oh boy, this is a really, really hard question. By the way, if you turned it around on us, we would be like, <laughs> I would totally tell you three so different so people at three different times. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So many great There's so much. It, it's hard. So if, I'm trying to think of something that would also be unusual, too. Like if someone mm. has no exposure or um, 
So, That's palatable. Well, I stand by my first choice as a Beethoven string quartet, just because okay. the string quartet is one of the like just the greatest forms that was ever created, and for classical music, just it's and composers what they do with with that setup of instruments and the they can go to really intimate places and mm -hmm. philosophical. I mean, it's just go listen to a Be late Beethoven's <laughs> quartet. Um, this is really hard. This is really hard. And then I would listen to the Goldberg variations, the Bach uh, Goldberg variations. Yes. The early Glenn Gould or the late Glenn Gould? Because they're very different. They're very different. It's so I, cool the way he. I don't want to recommend interpretations because okay. I think uh, then it gets trickier. I do love how different they yeah, are. Yeah, I think that's it's a beautiful thing that it that it exists and it's a perfect example of someone spending their life and changing. You know. Yeah. So I think that's that's a good thing to remember about recordings. And I also think like these are recordings of music that was written when before probably a composer ever thought someone would record his music. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. it's funny to think about all the kind of focus on recordings and what that means that this is a relatively new concept anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then so I got to give a third one. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> you don't have to. No, I should, right? Uh, my, I would listen to the Berg Violin Concerto, Alban ah. Berg Violin Concerto. It's totally different. Any um, like cello or violin, when you hear that, you just gotta stop. It's true. The violin is like violin a singular sound. Like, yeah, right here, always, right in the I soul. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to play the cello, actually. But I was too I was too small when I started, so I wanted to play the cello and the harp and the flute. The violin fit my hands, so they give it to me. Did you ever? Were you when you were studying? Did you ever? Oh, I'm gonna learn how to play guitar or anything like contemporary? Like I'm gonna learn to play the drums. Um, I probably picked up a guitar a couple times. I'm not good at the guitar yeah. because it's similar enough the hand the hand positioning yeah. to be just enough confusing. Yeah. <laughs> so it never really it never stuck with me. And I can't sing for my life, which is probably the only reason I never like started writing songs and stuff. Um, I played in a in a band nice. a little bit, but I played violin. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, like rock violin. Yeah, I, I, we'd have to ask them what the music was, you know, because <laughs> if it's not classical, I don't know how to categorize. Stuff, right. But yeah, that was fun. I mean, I'm just I just don't know a lot about a lot of right other kinds of music, but. When I'm relaxing, I don't listen to classical music. It's like too really? intense. What do you listen it's to? It's too intense to listen it to. Is. And when it I'm is. relaxed, like you know, like I, I've been working all day. I can't come home to no, this. I, I shut <laughs> off classical music before in the studio because if I was having like a, if I was frustrated and something's not working, and I have this like boom boom behind me, I'm like. Ugh. But it's so. I mean, there's so many different kinds of but music to listen to yeah. within classical. Yeah. But I, I find like in my studio, if I if I can't deal with intensity, I can put on like the Chopin nocturnes or something. And For me, I can't listen to anything in the background if it's classical. Oh, yeah. Because you have to pay attention to because it. Because I will. It's not that I yeah. have to. It's just I will. It'll, right. it's like I'll be on, completely on. And it, you know, even if I don't like the piece, they're like my biggest pet peeve is when music is like, if you're in the car and music is just just a little bit right. too low that you could kind yeah, of not hear it. That's kind of that. like what it's like if there's any that. classical music anywhere for me. So. My stepfather was a, a conductor yes, and I... he like couldn't deal with music at like at a restaurant. If there was, he would just be like so irritated. He, he, I mean, 
he hated loud people in the restaurants too, but like what he really hated was having to hear music. And you know, unless he was putting on what he wanted to hear, mm -hmm. he just, he wanted, to, he needed to be able to control it. Otherwise yeah. he couldn't deal yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> so you play a lot, you're playing a lot of solo violin. Do you, do you ever like, does the camaraderie of playing with other people, is that something that draws you in? Or do, is it more of like a, an individual kind of uh, thing for you? Oh, definitely. Every, I mean, chamber music is like the greatest joy you'll ever get. Um, it's just, a, it's kind of, this, this challenge or part of my life with, with the Bach was, <clears throat> almost like a rite of passage as a violinist. Uh -huh. And I think kind of made me feel like a pianist for the first time. You know, <laughs> pianists can just, they have every, they have all the parts. Yeah. They're right there. Yeah. But I'm playing chamber music is a huge joy and it's a huge part of my life and my musical life. And I also play sometimes in chamber orchestras and yeah, I mean, I do a little bit of everything. So mm -hmm. it's, it's wonderful. Being able to play with other musicians is such an incredible thing. Um, Did I read that you went on tour with at some point with Itzhak Perlman? Yeah, I've played a lot with him in chamber music. God, that must be so. Yeah, cool. <laughs> he's, the, he's just the greatest. I mean, he's not only like as a person too. He's just the most. He has the biggest heart, and he's Would there be any really problems? funny. <laughs> yeah, and he's just yeah, he's amazing. To perform with him is so beautiful because he's so spontaneous and so giving, and everything. He'll just like in. He knows how to turn a phrase and kind of change your life. So being able to like play with him a lot is just, it's an amazing thing. I knew that he was playing with the Westchester um, Philharmonic or something. Or he yeah, was he the was director conducting. He was conducting, conducting there. Yeah, and I never yeah. saw it. And it was like 10 minutes away. I'm, we're, we were talking earlier. We're actually both from Westchester, yeah. which is the suburbs of New York City. Yeah. But he was out. I didn't know that. Oh. And I know you conduct at SUNY Purchase College or yeah. something. Would there be any performances that stand out in your mind that you were like, wow, this was like an amazing experience? So many. Um, that's a good, that's a good yeah, thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> so um, many great performances. Yeah, most of them were probably chamber music experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I had one very special group when I was at a festival in Vermont called Marlboro Music Festival. And it was a close friend of mine, he's a cellist, and this incredible Hungarian pianist named Danish Var Varjan. I'm sorry for saying your name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and we worked on Beethoven um, mm -hmm. piano trios and for two summers in a row. And, you know, as much as I, as you were saying, do you like playing solo or do you like playing with other people? As, as amazing as communing with Bach can be on my own, if I feel like I'm really in the groove, if you have other people there, yeah. there's nothing... Uh, there's nothing like that. So this particular trio was stands out as a, I think for all of us, um, just a kind of life-changing performance together. And wow. also the rehearsals, we were able to rehearse for about, uh, this festival's really unique because um, artists of all ages and points in their career all come together and live in Vermont for seven weeks. And awesome. there are no performances allowed for the first three weeks. So it's really centered on slowing down and just being able to search. Yeah. So to be able to have that, um, searching with Beethoven is 
Beautiful. So that that stands out. And this was a really special night because uh, all the concerts had been filled up, so we weren't able to perform on the stage. So this was the last week of the festival, and there were concerts every night, and we had all just heard like an amazing three-hour concert, and we were we decided to perform an informal run-through of the Archduke Trio in the dining hall. And almost the entire festival showed up and That's sat and listened wow. to us play. So it was like... Um, you know, also as the community level, like be able to play for your peers like that and right. to have their support. And that was a really special concert. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> was it even, was it mic'd or were you just playing like? Yeah, I mean, we, we have one recording of it from a video camera at the, at the back of the dining hall. Is that the sound on YouTube? Is, it's I mean, not anywhere. The sound is like, it's okay. The but sound I mean, is like, like, were you mic'd as far as PA system or anything so people can hear, or was it just raw as far so as just like what the we never are? We never play with sound systems. If it, yeah, I mean, sometimes if you're playing at an outdoor festival, they might have a yeah. sound system. But no, I mean, Marlboro's special in that way because half the concerts are in a concert hall and half of them are in the dining hall. It's That's actually so like cool. what we do. So that. it's, yeah, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a great philosophy. So yeah, yeah. this was, that was definitely stands out as one of them. Oh. I've been to a lot of concerts that have, but I think being a part, that's, that sticks out to me always as like one of the greatest things I was able to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, collaborative absolutely. concert, yeah. Sounds so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I totally want to be there. Like, music, I mean, for me, music was always the, you know, second love in my life. I'm not going to say second or fifth, but it, it was because I was always just like interested in, yeah. in, in visuals. Mm -hmm. but it was always like music. And, and growing up, music was also how you had, you know, identified yourself. Like, what is this truth thing that you're trying to discover? It's like you think you might be able to talk about it and then you know we're all on the same page, but it's just so slightly peripheral from yeah. like that you're like, it's right there. Yeah. I don't exactly know what it is and I almost yeah. have it. I don't know. I always think of it like it's like a tangent and a curve, you know, like they mm. intersect for like a brief second, you know, mm -hmm. and like sometimes that second can be like a forever, you right. know, if you're really lucky. Yeah. You know, sometimes you meet an artist who's like, you know, they're just on that plane. They're there for <laughs> always somehow, you know, there might be a little crazy, but like, but this, you know, these moments where like really great chamber music, I can, I can feel like that we're all being completely truthful with one another. And I think that's, that's what it is. Like as a performer, you, you're hopefully being your most honest, raw self and, you know, aligning that with the composer, hopefully. And, and a lot of times you, you can interact with the audience in the same yeah. way. That's really cool. Can you talk about composing? Sure. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's a whole different yeah. sort of ball of wax. Yeah, it is. Um, do you compose for the violin or do you compose for other instruments? Both. Uh -huh. um, these days I've been doing a lot of kind of things that are based on improvisation. So I've started to improvise a lot on the instrument, which I think for me is a, an interesting place between composing and whatever's on the other side of yeah. that. <laughs> I think I've, I've found, if we're talking about you know, truth and your voice yeah. and stuff, I found a lot of keys to that through improvising. I think part of, part of it was learning the craft of composition, which is a very long process, which I hopefully will um, continue to do, but then also being able to kind of 
I think as a, like as a writer, remove the judgment so that you can get your ideas out mm-hmm. and then sculpt it together afterwards. So I sort of I think about improvising the same way. Maybe you would sketch something. Yeah. You, know, you, you make a lot of sketches for something, and they teach you something, and they sort of get you closer to whatever's really really back there. Right. And but it's not the same thing as making a, a sculpture. It's one step. In between, so I'm sort of fascinated in in the sketching phase, just because I think the process of composing is really interesting. Um, so, do you usually record all your? I do. I record. Of, back yeah, and... I record a lot of my improvisations, and then then I try and transcribe them. And in the beginning, this was a really hard process, and I sort of embraced the struggle of it, kind of as an idea of like, what does it mean to be able to listen to something? And a lot of the times. Um, I think like the essence of what I was trying to say was less about it had a lot to do with the timing and had a lot to do with the rhythm and but I just couldn't even transcribe my own improvisations which I thought for me was kind of an interesting puzzle yeah. and I got really interested in like surrealist writers and things like that and the imagination as a force so I like this interplay between being able to grasp what you're trying to say and it slipping through your fingers mm. so that's that's to say, like, the last few years I've done a lot with learning about electronic music and being able to sort of layer these improvisations with live music and then turn them into cells of other things and sort of sometimes expand them. I do a lot of... I've done some work with, like, um, choreographers and some, um, like, a... I've done a lot of collaborative, yeah, like modern dance, and also I wrote a piece with an actor, and a, a, we, we wrote a piece about... It was really about this struggle for the beginnings of things, and mm-hmm. I find a lot of a lot of um, perform- artists share this kind of curiosity. So, but I, I really now I'm starting to go back and and I want to, you know, finish these sketches because yeah. I think being a full-time violinist, it's it's really been my focus. But I think at the end of the day, being a composer is will hopefully be a very meaningful part of my identity and it's just about finding the time and and then you know <laughs> yeah. oh, peace we, of mind yeah but i think a lot about the difference and what it means to be an artist in both of those categories and so do you when you're composing or when you're uh, when you're writing um do you ever feel like you're always kind of that weight of the you know the box and the Mozarts and the <laughs> That's all heavy weight. Like, you know, that weight on your shoulder, like, ah, uh, you know, like... Oh, totally. Because you also know how to play exactly. the pieces. That's the hard part. So you yeah. only, it's only natural to compare yourself to, like, what they were doing. And I think we kind of do that a little bit, too, where we're like, well, you know, we know, we know they exist, so yeah. we can't help it. Yeah, it's really hard, and I think it... I, I don't think it gets you anywhere. It's, the, it's, it's a fact. None of us can change it, but it, it's kind of... What I've learned is it doesn't do me any good to, to think of... I mean, I know I'm not Beethoven and Bach, so, but because I can play the violin, I, I kind of know where it needs to be, and yeah. that, that's really hard. I think part of the difficulty of, of writing and something that I've found hard is to remove that kind of judgment it's so hard to judge yourself 
Yeah, and it, it just it kind of stifles you. It doesn't allow you to actually create anything. You have to make a lot of mistakes, and you have to get things dirty in order to put them together. Right. So you have to kind of allow yourself this this place to 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 live and to to dream. Is it? it so it's classical. You're composing classical music. Is yeah, that, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think like I'm a little out of the box right now. Oh really? <laughs> I mean, I don't. It's definitely tonal, if that makes any uh -huh. more sense. Yeah, right. I'm not writing in like the sonata form. I'm. Um, yeah. I do you think. feel? Oh, sorry. Do you feel any pressure to be like relevant or contemporary in terms of your compositions, hmm. or even in terms of your playing? Like, do you need to? bring Bach into our age or just by virtue of you being you and existing when you do, is that making it relevant or contemporary? Is your question what makes it relevant or do I feel an obligation to be relevant or both? both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a question that we get asked a lot. Yeah, you know, is, I see. Like, do you have like an iPhone on your still life kind of thing? <laughs> like, yeah, like, how are you going to make Here that portrait yeah, like, be contemporary? Yeah. Like, yeah, does the person? I feel like maybe I, we were talking about this at the the concert the other day. Yeah, it's. I think the relevancy comes in to question in terms of, am I, in, like, for instance, with my project. That right. was that was a conscious effort of me asking the question of how can classical music be relevant in daily life? Or is it? Is yeah. it? Yeah, what would happen in New York City? Right. You know, it was kind of loosely inspired from the Banksy project where every day he was Going out painting oh, in yeah, a different yeah. spot. Spots, I was thinking, yeah. what would happen? Could it happen? You know, right. with this medium. But in you, terms were, of, you were being ironic, which I... Yeah, I mean, I, like I, I have like no, I, I'm, I come in peace, you know, yeah. I don't make any, I really, it was mostly, the thing that inspired me about that is that because graffiti lives on the street, yeah. you don't, none of the product gets diluted. There's no like loss of translation between the product and the audience. Right. So that for me was a, how can I create the same model for violin? I'm not yeah. going to play on a noisy platform. But anyway, there's a lot of question about being relevant in terms of interpretation. Yeah. And that's something that I'm not quite sure I think about very much because I, a lot of the, I like to believe that a lot of the musicians that I um, admire the most, you know, from the 20th century, early 20th century, rec old recordings we have and stuff, they were playing and then all of the artists before them without being able to hear really other people play. So they were developing their own voices. Yeah, it was in their context of their time, but they weren't comparing themselves as much as we are to right, each to other. Earlier. Because I can go, I think I even demonstrated this, this idea of interpretation came up at the last recital and I demonstrated a couple just kind of violinists that people would recognize different ways of playing. We can, I'm not going to, I'm really not going to do that. But I think that's, it's, um, we can go on YouTube and hear 20 different, different interpretations. Right. Yeah. So in terms of being relevant, I think the question of trying to do something new for its own sake can be dangerous yeah. because because you said you it, you first just... of all, you can't do something new with Bach because it's been done. So you have to do what's true for you, and right. I think you have to figure out what you believe without necessarily. I don't know. It's just I, I haven't found being. I don't know how to explain this. 
I don't really know what would make my playing Bach relevant to the classical music world. Mm. All I know is what I feel compelled to discover in the music. Right. And that's based on a lot of different things. And I don't know. It's, but, it's a hard question. <laughs> I don't know if I'm answering it. Yeah, it's a it. totally hard question. But I, don't, I, uh, I don't know if I'm really answering your question. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a... I think it's a hard question to confront, and I think that all of us who are working in kind of a, a classical medium, like it's it's something that we do confront. But I think when you explained um, your interpretation of Bach writing those those pieces, there was like there was he he was experiencing things in his life that are universal that we all you know loss and. There's a humanity there that I think is incredibly relevant to yeah. any time. And I think yeah. that those emotions never, they never, like they're a constant throughout human history and they're what unite us to, you know, people from his era united him with people, you know, from previous era. I mean, it's, it's like something that just stretches across human history. Yeah. And I think that that, in a sense, makes it all relevant. And the way that you were explaining it, it sounded like you had been doing a lot of thinking and processing and maybe, you know, almost the way that maybe an, uh, an actor would have to conjure up some experience in their own life to inhabit the emotions of somebody that they're, that they're portraying, that they're playing. And, you're maybe, I don't know, looking into your own life and finding loss or sadness or something. Or happiness. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's equivalent to what you interpreted Bach uh, experiencing when he was, and, and trying to convey mm -hmm. through those compositions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that all music that I would ever perform is I'm playing it because it's. I think it'll be relevant for that reason, for someone mm -hmm. emotionally, or if emotion is too kind of simple a word, whatever word you want to put in place of it, yeah. you know, that I think yeah. the, the stuff that art deal allows us to... to I mean, maybe truth learn. is yeah. a substitute word for that. Yeah. Um, Have you done any teaching? Have you... Because mm -hmm. I, I actually, I think I read that you also started um, something, is it Music in the Mountains? or uh -huh. It's in Utah, out in yeah, Utah? Yeah, in Utah. Is yeah. It, is it, did I get it right, Music uh -huh. in the Mountains? Music in the Mountains, yeah. It's, uh, it's the third year of this little chamber music festival I've started in collaboration with um, Powder Mountain and um, also Summit Series out in Eden, Utah. Nice. So we do, um, it's like a residency kind of retreat for the artists that I'm able to bring out there for one to two weeks, depending on the season. And we do free concerts on the awesome. top of the mountain for the community. <laughs> and it's beautiful. I love it. I'm so, so excited um, There's nothing that it's like happening. being... Uh, at, on very high mountains, especially when you get out, it's out insane. there. It's insane. There's it, a whole. It's just like a different. Yeah. Thing. It's yeah, and you pair that with a Schubert cello quintet. I, believe <laughs> me, it was really. It was really, really fun, thin uh, air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My friend was was sort of te half teasing me. I hope because the <laughs> the day before we performed the the Schubert cello quintet. Also, I want to recommend that. <laughs> okay. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> Not first, but all. But like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it was like one of the last pieces he ever wrote, and 
You heard it here last. <laughs> Suggested donation podcast. You heard it here currently. And I said something about like feeling like we, I said something very kind of me to say, which was like, you know, there's got to be some some place in the universe somewhere he's got to know when people are playing this music. I mean, I'm not a religious person, and I don't really. I'm. I don't like. But when you're when you're in touch with this stuff, it's just like you can't believe that's um that some molecule in the universe is vibrating yeah. when yeah. people are playing this because the fact that it's even here is so is such a miracle that I yeah. don't know I always feel like I'm somehow connected and I said this and then the next day we were performing it um, so Powderman has this like unbelievable like yurt on the very very top yeah. so probably that. like what 12,000 feet or something like that I'm not very good with numbers but it's high up, <laughs> it's high up. <laughs> and we were lightheaded yeah we were playing and then in the slow movement, I kid you not, it just, it starts bum, 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 with little pizzicatos. It's like the most delicate thing in the world in the beginning of the slow movement. And it just started to like very gently pitter-patter raining on the, ce- on the ceiling. And we're like, we're like practically in the clouds anyway, yeah. you know. And then there's this huge storm section that happens. And then I swear to God, the door, the in. door opened <laughs> up. I know I'm not like making this up. We could see on the balcony outside, like the picnic benches were being like sw- swung across in the wind. Um, yeah, so she laughed about it. Then afterwards, she was like, "You were saying that he could hear us, you know?" But, yeah, but it's pretty spectacular, and I love being able to give. Uh, free concerts because I think that's really that's really, really how cool. did you even like how did that come into be to come to happen like how did you organize that um I'm friends with um some of the people out at summit series which mm-hmm. is this really interesting community of like young entrepreneurs and thinkers and they they host a lot of events during the year and they sort of made their home on powder mountain so wow. yeah it's a really beautiful uh, group of pe- young people to be chatting with and intersecting with and so it's really awesome that we're able to put this concert series on every summer. And, and you're going to continue doing it. Yes, I hope good. so. And I have hopes for the future. So stay tuned. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in Italy for a week and then in Russia this summer. Wow. Oh, wow. And then I'm playing in Vermont, some Bach concerts in Vermont. Um, music in the Mountains is happening from... In, for anyone in Salt Lake City <laughs> listening, mm. um, wants to come out to Eden, which is an hour away. That's going to be the 15th through the 17th of July. And then I'm thinking of doing another Discovering Bach. Maybe from, even, I'm, I'm just like brainstorming another, now. Like, like another city Like or another something. 33 days. I was thinking of leaving from Utah and like kind of going along the West Coast a little bit. Do like a road trip yeah, with Bach? Yeah, like go to play for some horses and cows and stuff. <laughs> or we can totally just think tank that right now on as we're recording <laughs> yeah or let's try to think of like really cool cities that would that be she could so do. cool to yeah, stop so off at different cities yeah. yeah and maybe i shouldn't have uh, announced this on on your podcast you can cut it out <laughs> no, no 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 but anyway because i was thinking i i really i have i have like i have i could get a month free after you know mid-july and i was thinking it's all great Except where am I going to practice? That was the interesting part. Uh, I'm also like not a, I've never been camping by myself. So. <laughs> anyway, this is all a conjecture, but do you practice <laughs> totally Yorker. like alone? Do you, do you want nobody around when you're practicing or, or is it okay is like to be the most personal thing 
Oh, do. really? Yeah. Like, there's very few people who have ever, like, I've ever let in the room when I'm practicing. Do you have, like, a soundproofed place? No. That you pra- no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my, my neighbors are very nice. Um, I've had, I had one complaint. Actually, what's that noise? It was at 10:05 p.m. on a Saturday night. <laughs> oh come on! I know. If someone's playing the violin. No, actually, you don't, you in don't... college, it was amazing that I, because I was, <laughs> I was that annoying girl who was like, "Can you please keep it down? I'm trying to go to sleep." Freshman year, but I would be practicing all the time in my dorm room. Everybody's like, she's such a hypocrite. I <laughs> yeah. I was like reading out loud yeah, to my girlfriend. I'll never, and... for, I'll never forget this girl was so sweet. She lived right next door to me and it was finals weekend. It was like May of like the end of our senior year and she was a uh, freshman year. And she's like, Michelle, I've, she wrote me the sweetest email too. She was like, I've really enjoyed you know, I'm going to listening, listen to you practice all year, but would you mind stopping doing finals? <laughs> I thought it was the sweetest thing. Like, yeah, so. My mother was a singer and she would sing like at night after dinner sometimes, just oh. do like her own kind of solo performances oh, in the living so nice. room. And uh, occasionally the house phone would ring. I mean, we were in an apartment building and, and, and it was she'd like always like, she'd go stomping over to the phone like, you know, oh, God damn it, they're kind of complaining <laughs> about it. And she'd pick up and they'd be like, oh, just want to tell you it's beautiful you know it's really but they would interrupt her they would yeah it's like you that's probably a subtle way of saying that's really good anyway continue (laughs) (laughs) maybe they thought it was over she got to a quiet part when i go visit my parents um the dog does not like the violin oh really really makes me sad like i'll come home and we're hanging out and i'll open the violin case and he'll run away (laughs) 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 yeah Okay. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so thank you much. So, so that was amazing. It was so fun great. to talk, and so amazing. I feel so lucky to get to hear you play yeah. a solo concert here uh-huh. at Eleventh Street Arts. The other thing I was actually thinking of quickly is uh, I remember there was that um, it was on the news, and uh, a woman forgot her violin in a cab. Stradivarius. It was oh, a Stradivarius, yeah. and I think it was worth like. Five million dollars or something like that. It's it's funny because a a friend of mine that happened to him, and he ended up being in like, it's like on Wikipedia or something. Like all of these like famous musicians who have lost their violins in taxi cabs. Yeah, I was like, you, you got a, you got good company there. Yeah. (laughs) Are you pretty good about like this is mine? This is mine. There's no other ones. There are many like it, but this one is mine. So I'm really good at. Keeping my violin with me. Yeah, I learned because when I was a, so when I was handcuffing young, it to your. Well, so wrist. when I was like in high school and in college at Juilliard, I was so lucky. I was borrowing instruments all the time, and I'm also very. Uh, I'll follow the rules as well. So I yeah. would like take the violin anywhere with me. <laughs> I would like never let it leave my sight. Um, now right. I have my own instrument, which makes like traveling and you know internationally and going to hotels a lot yeah. a lot easier oh it does because yeah, i thought you would stress it well it's well, smaller no, it's so you don't have to it, check it it's mine and i have you know i i don't know and it's also not nearly as expensive as <laughs> the violins i was borrowing so. <laughs> have you ever played a stradivarius yeah actually um for two my last two years at juilliard i was i was playing on a strad which is amazing is it is it and, is it a big difference when you like yeah. feeling wise <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that violins are, it's kind of like, a, I'm not a dancer, but if you, like, if people who are, have a really, if you have a really good dancing partner, mm-hmm. who's, yeah. like, slightly better than you, who's going to, like, kind of oh, yeah. lead the way and surprise you, and it's this give and take, but when you play a Strad, it takes a while to 
get to know the instrument. Yeah. And my it, Mr. Perlman always talks about playing in the sweet spot. You know, like yeah. even oh, baseball yeah. players talk about like that the, in the pocket. And like when like when you finally get it, and it could be very elusive, and it can come and go on different different notes, different strings. But the, for me, it's so beautiful to play on these old instruments because you're talking about imagination and. You know, if I'm playing and I want to, I hear something in my head and I want to try and produce the sound, when you have a really special violin, it will, you will make sounds that you could never even imagine before. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like, your palate is growing all the time. So that, that so can like be the, really... So, like, the gamut almost, yeah. like, expands. Is that just the age yeah. of the wood? Yeah, have they ever figured out why? Because I know I've heard things, whether it's his technique, whether it's the wood that doesn't exist anymore, or is it just... There's a lot of people that have asked this question. I, I'm not an expert by, by any means, but I've talked to a lot of violin makers, and some something I heard was about even just the bacteria in the trees mm. at the time, because I think they know where they got the wood from, but... Yeah just hundreds of years later, and the varnish was different, all kinds of things. My violin is actually seven years old, and it's modeled after a Stradivarius. Oh, wow. Yeah, the so maker this, lives it's in only California. S- yeah. Wow. Yeah. So was it made especially for... No, oh. no, it was not, but um, for a friend of mine, so, yeah. Yeah, but at some point, people could say, you know who played this violin? <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh. and then, yeah, then you can, then they'll put some, you know, insane price tag. <laughs> if you say, you've heard it first, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. But let me ask you, uh, actually, before we go, do you have any recordings or any, because you were saying you were recording. Yeah, so my that, CD has not been released yet. Okay. I recorded uh, the complete Bach Sonatas and Partitas, and as soon as I know when let us know because <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely yeah, post I would, it yeah definitely I would love to let people know as soon as they can get it and um, other than other than that um, and your website my is... website has information about me and hopefully I'll be up I'm sometimes I'm very I don't like to upload a lot of I don't stuff. <laughs> or I think we're all pretty bad yeah but in terms <laughs> of but like um, I do have a collaborative composition project happening in May and um, I think somewhere in the Lower East Side, and I don't know. So you'll be in, you'll definitely be kind of bouncing around New York. You're a New Yorker, so yeah, you live, I live here, in New and, you're, York, and yeah. you're gonna. I travel a lot, but I, I live here, and I do a lot of projects here. So. So you have to keep us updated. I will, yeah. Because we'll definitely <laughs> put the word out, oh, and then you. we'll um, most likely Ted and I will be showing up. Like we'll come to the oh, Hungarian yeah. bakery. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you so yeah, much. Thank you, thank you guys it for was coming fun. and and playing and and just having a fun conversation about it. Yeah. I think a lot of our, our audience will find it very inspiring. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And keep so, us updated. I will. Yeah. I'll do. I'll do that. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank See you. you. Bye. Bye. That was great. That was awesome. Yeah. Okay. He's a podcaster on the edge. Tony Cernai. Tony. 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 Wow. Wow.